From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home, your cabin in the woods, your long-haul truck, taxi, your, your uh, camper, your RV. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, good to have you here. I'll tell you what. I walk into the studio every week, and I thank God for allowing me to continue to do this program. I do love my work. I honestly do. Nothing else I'd rather be doing, and uh, I thank you for listening and for your support over the years. Tim is here, Tim Spreen. He's leaving me. Tim is moving into another day part here at our uh, flagship station radio, so I'll be getting a, uh, another technical producer in a few weeks. Uh, is it Ian, Tim? Ian. All right, well, uh, he'll be my fifth technical producer in six years. <laughs> you, yes, you had a good run, Tim. Three years, the longest. Uh, I'm coming up on my sixth anniversary in a couple of weeks at AM 740. Six years. Wow. Uh, Albert Vinzel is also here. Albert uh, started as my intern about uh, six months ago. Has it been six months, Albert? And he has really proven to be invaluable. Uh, I don't tell him very often because he'll ask for a raise, but he does excellent work, and uh, I'd be lost without him. So thanks for all you do, Albert. Um, and Albert is running our HOA uh, tonight, again, our Hangout on Air. If you want to catch the live stream, you can join very simply. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and click on the HOA link, and you are in the inner sanctum. Uh, we are going to delve into all things paranormal in this hour of the program, and uh, it could get a little dark, quite frankly. I've been pretty clear over the years, uh, but it bears repeating that I do believe in an unseen world, a spirit world. I believe in angels, and I believe in demons. I believe in an afterlife. Uh, I talk to a lot of researchers and authors and investigators who are involved in spirit communication, uh, but it is not something I personally am involved in. I was speaking with George Norrie from Coast to Coast AM not too long ago, and uh, this is something that we, we've discussed. Uh, we have an aversion to, well, not an aversion. I just, I stay clear of Ouija boards. I don't mind talking about it on the air. I don't mind talking about uh, or with people. Uh, we've had guests recently talking about Ouija boards, our good friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley, but you will not get me near one. Come hell or high water. This whole paranormal field is fraught with dangers. It is a swamp. It's not for amateurs. And yet, ghost hunting and paranormal investigation has become a hobby or a pastime for some people, like bird watching. And I don't think that's a good thing. This is something best left to professionals. Because I think there is, in this field, when you were talking about spirit communication, there is a lot of deception. You're not necessarily speaking with your great-uncle Fred. And my next guest has a similar story to tell. She had paranormal experiences from a very early age, and everything started out honky-dory. She thought these spirits were her friends. And then things changed, and not for the better. Her whole life, as I say, full of paranormal experiences, she's been able to see and communicate with spirits, since she was very young. And while she was very young, the spirits were her friends. But as time went on, things started to change. She started being tormented by spirits, haunted, even attacked. Let's get into all of that with our guest. Christina George is a paranormal investigator, ufologist, cryptozoologist, a psychic medium, and the founder of her paranormal group, PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society out of Sacramento, California, where they investigate not only the paranormal, but also UFOs, abductions, Bigfoot, and other unknown mysteries. Christina George, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I am good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. Uh, take us back to uh, your childhood um, and the, the nature of your uh, paranormal experiences. Were you seeing dead people? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have been able to see and communicate with spirits since, as long as I can remember, since the youngest age is about four years old. And as you were saying in the intro, it's something when I was young, never seemed to be an issue. I saw them all the time in the homes where I was at, where I lived, places I would go, interacted with them. It was, again, never anything scary. I never felt uh, danger or anything like that. It wasn't until probably my early teens when everything changed. And I'll tell you, it definitely and drastically changed. Well, before we get into what changed, uh, I mean, I'm fascinated. Here you are, four years old. You would go to somebody's house and you would see a, a ghost. What kind of ghost? Are we talking about children, adults? What did they look like? How did they present themselves to you? Okay. they uh, All of the above. I saw children. I saw adults, uh, men, women. Uh, again, they looked like you and I. The only difference was that they were more of a translucent um, way, so you could actually see through them. So I could see, you know, just like I said, it looked like you or me, but I could see that I could see through them. And, again, being a child, it was very interesting because I asked a lot of questions, and they seemed to, you know, be completely open to answering everything. The one thing for me was that they always told me that I wasn't supposed to talk about this. I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. And strangely enough, growing up, I was brought up Catholic. You know, you're supposed to not hide anything from your parents, be honest, truthful. And I actually did come forward and and try to tell adults about this and was met with, stop making things up. Other people would say, you know, it's normal. They're um, the imaginary friends. They'll go away. And so immediately it was kind of like they I come back and they're like, oh, well, we, we tried to tell you. And so from there, as a child, I really never talked about it uh, around you, any that especially at my home, since, again, we are very strong, strong Catholics. But you had full-on conversations with these, oh, yeah. with these ghosts, full-on yeah. conversations. And did they tell you about their history, who they were, how they died, or did they know they were dead? Um, some did. Some didn't. Uh, some would tell me all about some. People were, they would tell me they used to live in the homes where we lived. And I moved around a lot as a child. So, again, going to different people's homes or mostly my own homes is where I've got the most interaction with them. And did they, did they, I mean, these these are what we would call earthbound spirits, correct? Yes, correct. Uh, And did, did any of them... Um, well, you mentioned that they, you know, you never felt threatened, but uh, I mean, I can't imagine even at the age of four, uh, you know, seeing a specter like this and 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 not being frightened. I mean, why why weren't you frightened? You should have been. I don't know that I should have been. I didn't know to be scared. It didn't really really come until later when I started getting a little bit older and watching television and watching scary movies and things like that, when I started to kind of get a fear that, okay, maybe this isn't normal. And maybe, and then you see anything that on TV or movies that was associated with spirits or ghosts was always something bad and they were going to attack you and hurt you. Um, And so again, I, I didn't have that fear ever put in my head from the beginning. So, and nothing ever bad ever happened to me. So I didn't associate one with the other. And why you? I mean, does this run in the family, your ability? Um, on my mother's side, no. Um, I actually did not know of anybody. I didn't. My father wasn't in the picture of growing up. I didn't meet him until I was an adult. I actually then found out that um, on my father's side, there are abilities, you know, generations back on his side, but not on my mother's side. So it was kind of hard. And, it, and I'm almost 50 years old, so... Um, when I was going through this, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have all the television shows. We didn't have all these, you know, uh, people out there that can give you information. I literally had the library, and even my local library did not have a lot on, you know, psychic abilities, ghosts, things like that. I mean, I did find a lot of books on witchcraft, you know, casting spells, things like that. But, 
you know, not really anything to tell me what was going on with me and, and what I should do about it. So it was kind of, you know, trial and error thing <laughs> along the way. Christina George is with us, founder of the paranormal group PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society out of Sacramento, California. Uh, and and you mentioned that uh, they they were quite uh, uh, benevolent these uh, ghosts that you saw as a child yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, we're going to head into a break in a couple of minutes, but let's start the conversation now. When did the tide start to turn? Starts about twelve years old, and I'm getting ready to go into middle school and. I'm trying to make friends. I, although I was a, a child that liked to interact with people, I didn't tell you know too many people about what was going on around me right away. If you even mention it, kids get scared. You know, say you are a witch or something was wrong with you, and you know, scatter. So, in first year of middle school, I tried to make some friends, and I actually. Um, got a group of friends that weren't afraid of actually what was going on with me, but they didn't believe me so much. So they decided one night that they were going to, these girls were going to invite me over to the house for a sleepover. And what they, when I got there, what they wanted me to do was they had a Ouija board there. And I saw, I heard it on the, on your intro. I hate Ouija boards as well, but um, they had a Ouija board and they wanted to do a session with one to see if I could come up with the answers from the spirit world before the Ouija board gave the answer and see if it matched up. And um, I really think that was the beginning of where it turned really, really, really bad. You're absolutely right. Um, What people think they're interacting with, with Ouija boards, is definitely usually not what they think. Uh, Many people get attachments. Uh, I was one of them and have some really, really bad things happen uh, because they don't understand them. And that's exactly what happened to me. Well, a bit of a cautionary tale, and we will get into that cautionary tale on the other side with Christina George talking the dark side of the paranormal. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Christina George is with us. Uh, She's the host of two well-known radio shows on the DTM Wicked Radio Network called Paranormal Connections and Aliens, UFO, and Beyond as well. She mentors uh, children, teens, and adults with psychic abilities in order to help them understand what is going on around them and to help them understand that they are not crazy and that they are definitely not alone. All right, uh, Christina, we were talking about your, um, uh, well, when things sort of turned south in terms of para- the paranormal and uh, you you uh, sort of pinpoint this to um, a Ouija board session. Absolutely. So what do you think happened? You opened up a, a portal when you started using the Ouija board and, and in, this invited sort of lower uh, realm entities into your life? A hundred percent, I believe. So, um, as I said, I had never once before had any kind of negative uh, interaction or encounter prior to that time. And so, as I said, they were um, doing a seance. They were, you know, asking these questions. I was giving the answers. But, you know, as all this is going on, as I'm giving the answers, the Ouija board is, is starting to say, give the exact same answers. And of course, right away, everybody's looking at each other and they're accusing each other. Are you pushing it? Are you making it, you know, do the same? Who's the one doing this? And, you know, then all of a sudden it kind of like just started like going on its own. It's like, you know, giving answers all crazy. And it really scared everybody. Um, After that, the girl actually threw away the um, Ouija board um, I, of course, they were not friends with me because then they now think I'm some crazy, psychotic, you know, uh, I think they thought I was a witch at the time because it was a rumor for a while that they were telling people. Um, and it, so, of course, you know, I go back home and right away I start having some visitations by this entity and at the time, all that I could see was it was this a large, large, uh, what I figured to be a man because of the voice, 
but he had um, a large cloaked uh, hooded robe and uh, like the Grim Reaper. He didn't have a sickle or anything like that, but he had this uh, hood. You can see his face and, and all this. And I kept seeing him on and on. And, and again, I was, you know, a teen. I was going through, you know, puberty. All the emotions were all over the place. And um, plus, I was a very, very strong psychic that had no idea what was going on. So it was a pretty good target uh, for something like this. And I was going through a lot of, actually, turmoil as well. And, um, again, perfect storm for, you know, to be a target. And this thing actually for a while kept trying to convince me that I needed to take my life and that if I would just take my life, that all of this stuff I was going through would be over and then there were, I would be surrounded by people who really did care about me. And again, as a child, this is very confusing because this is polar opposite of what I've ever you know, went through and experiences I had. And it, it continued on for quite a while and this thing would show up all different times and even got to the point that um, I didn't really, I had so much energy, I didn't know what to um, do. And I ended up starting to cut myself. Oh dear. And during this time, and actually now that I'm an adult, I I have found that many young psychics, um, because of that, they don't understand how to um, decipher with the psychic abilities and all the energies, especially if they're empathic, things like that. Um, so it is very, you know, um, normal for them to cut, uh, to kind of relieve that energy. Did your parents try to get you into therapy? I'm sorry? Did your parents try to to, to get counseling for you or therapy? They they did, but, you know, earlier on. And, um, actually I was around nine when they, I was first taken in, um, the doctor, the psychiatrist, they tried to tell my mom that, you know, um, they should put me on some meds that, you know, I might find the you know, bipolar, going through some depression, but, you know, um, thank God for my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, because she said, absolutely not. This child's way too young. Are you kidding me? You know, she, there's nothing, they, they couldn't see that there was anything that they thought psychologically was wrong with me, other than I was talking about these experiences, seeing spirits. So, um, yeah, so later on, no, nobody got me, you know, any kind of help after that. Um, nobody knew I was cutting. Uh, nobody even... I found out till a little bit later, but uh, so during one of these times when I'm I'm cutting, this thing shows up, and scary enough, it it ended up you know kind of trying to get me to take it my life that day, uh, and I was just so upset, and I don't even remember what was going on, but it was just I was really really upset, and this thing turned around and said, you know, kept telling me, take your life, take your life. And I kept saying, you know, if you're so, you know, such a, you're so strong and you're so bad and you can do all this stuff, you know, you know, why don't you do it? And the next thing I know is this thing is behind me and he's got his arms like wrapped around me. And what was so weird was that the hands was the first thing I ever saw in this thing is he wrapped him around me. It was like long fingers, uh, almost something like you see out of like a horror movie, Mm -hmm. Uh, long nails, uh, rough skin, um, did not look human. And it caused me to pick up my, the razor blade. And it literally was almost controlling me. And it started having me take the um, razor blade and start to go up on my wrist, not across, but up. And he whispers in my ear and says, if you just push just a little bit harder, it'll be all over. But I will tell you, that was when the light for me turned on in that moment. And I don't really know why it was, but at that point I realized that this thing can't take my life. It can manipulate and it can try to make me take my life. But when I challenged it, it couldn't hurt me. And it was kind of like almost an empowering feeling. So, you know, I was like, oh, you can't, you know, you can't hurt me. And if you're so, you know, you're such a powerful thing, you know, and you can do all this, why do you hide behind this cloak? And I said, why don't you show me your face? And I'll tell you to this day, I I hear every time I tell this story, but like it happened just right now, and he would say, oh, you want to see what I look like? And I said, yeah. And he put his head forward, the, the hood forward, and I see him put
put his hands up, and then he pushes the hood back as he puts his head up. And what I see is clearly like straight what he would have seen out of, you know, a picture, you know, of, of Satan himself. Oh now, my. of course, it scared the hell out of me. You are face Do to I face with that this that thing. that was Satan? No. You're face to face with this thing? Yes. Yes. Why don't you believe but, it was Satan? What was it? Well, again, at the time I did. I mean, I was it scared the hell out of me. Um, but now I, I don't believe so because these things, they manipulate us. They use us. Um, and again, like with the Ouija board, they will make you think that you are interacting with a family member or something so that you will be open to interact, things like that. And so uh, the same thing is they can manipulate them, your, you know, your greatest fears. And at the time, again, growing up Catholic, my number one fear was of the devil itself. Well, would you call it a demon? It certainly sounds like yes, a demon. Yes, that's exactly what I believe it is, 100%. And, you know, mimicking what I was, most, you know, my biggest fears. Uh, they know us, you know, better than we know ourselves. And so they, they definitely use that. You know, after that time, I mean, I literally went back to the, the very next day. I went back to the uh, library, and I actually checked out books, which were on witchcraft. And I was able to find a uh, so-called spell, a binding spell. It was a binding of, of abilities spell. And I basically uh, performed that. I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I performed it. And um, it actually stopped me from being able to see anything, not for long, I mean, for a couple of years, uh, but it did work for a little while. I will tell you that, again, that was in my early teens. I am now almost 50 years old. From the time that uh, I did the binding uh, ritual, I did not see this thing again. Um, I had, during all these years, I've had a near-death experience. Uh, when I came back, that's when my abilities actually came back. The binding abilities was gone. My abilities were 10 times stronger than they ever were before, um, but I still didn't see this thing. So I was like, okay, I, I guess I can handle it as long as I don't have to deal with that. What was the but nature of your, your, excuse me, Christina, the nature of your near-death experience? Walk me through that. Okay. Well, uh, I had an, a car accident, uh, and during that time, uh, I was brought to the hospital. They told me that I needed to go to surgery. I had a ruptured spleen, so they were going to go in and repair it. Um, and during the I, last thing I remembered is they were, you know, telling me to count backwards there, putting the gas on my, my uh, face. Uh, next thing I know, I am floating um, above what I find to be my body. And I can see people working and doing, you know, surgery and talking. And I literally kind of like wanted to like try to look around to see if it was me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is me. And mind you, I'm I'm an adult at this time, and I I had heard of near death experiences. And the, one of the first things I thought about is, oh my gosh, my experience and their near death experience. And so I started like looking at very specific things: the clock, what time it was, um, what. Uh, the nurse and the doctors were saying, uh, the machinery, all these different things. And right about that moment, um, I am kind of projected from inside the above my body in the operating room immediately to another place where it was just, I don't want to say a room because there I didn't see any walls or floor or anything, but I was in this place where I was completely surrounded by this white light. Um, and in the distance, I could see a line of people. Um, one happened to me and my grandfather, which was um, the first and only of my family members that um, died and came to me uh, and has been the only one since. Uh, I had a um, boyfriend that I was with um, for a long time, and he actually was killed uh, and died in my arms. He was there. Oh, um, my. He I was saw and died other, in your arms. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was shot and uh, ended up passing away. He was there. There was um, a couple other people that now I know to be family members that had passed away. And then there were some other people I still to this day don't know who they are. Um, but during that time, I could see them. They're all standing in the line. They're, they're waving to me. Excuse me. 
I really, at this time, I was had such a euphoric feeling. I will tell you, I've never felt anything like that before. And at the time, I was a young mother of, of four children. And not once was I thinking about, oh, my gosh, you know, I've got children that are, are back behind, left behind, nothing like that. And they were my only concerns. That would have always been my biggest thing. And I get this, this voice tells me that it's not my time, that I, I, I'm going to have to go back. And for some reason, I feel like I can argue with whoever this is. And I tell them, you know, why would I go? I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Why, you know, why would I go? And it was given very specific. I was actually given a lot of information, but uh, very specific directions. And one of them was that I was supposed to go back. I was supposed to no longer hide my abilities from people. I was supposed to use them to help other people. And, you know, again, I'm sitting here arguing with this thing, like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> you can't make me go back. I'm not going. I don't know what you, why you think you're going to send me back, but you can't do that. I'm here now. And as I'm saying that, all of a sudden I'm yanked back. And I'm still in this, this area of white light, but I can see that the line of my grandfather and people are further away. And they're waving as like they're saying goodbye. And I can remember I was yelling and I was crying and saying, no, like, I don't want to go. Like, you can't make me go. And at that time, I'm yanked back, I mean, very forcefully, you know, just shoved back. And the second time I'm pulled back, I am now again above my um, body and back in the operating room. And I see them feverishly working on my body. Um, I can see that I'm the machines as I'm flatlined. They are shocking my body, which I now believe that the times that they were shocking me is when I got yanked backwards. So this last time they say, turn it up, we're going to shock her one more time or we'll call her. And they shock me this last time. At that point, I go back into my body. Um, and the next thing I remember is when I wake up in the recovery room I was actually crying, very hysterical. I was trying to tell the nurses and people around me what had just happened. And all I remember was that the nurse kept saying, rubbing my forehead and saying, it's okay, honey, it's okay. You just had surgery. You had a really bad accident. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Everything's okay. This is just from the anesthesia. And I, I knew that that wasn't the case. But I literally talked to a doctor the following day that came to visit me in the um in ICU, and strangely enough, they came in and um, talked to me about the the near death experience. He was a doctor, actually did research on near death experience. I, I told him, you know, asked him if I remembered my experience. I did. I told him, and then he left, and another group of doctors came in that were following me, and they came to tell me that, you know, they had repaired my spleen. I was better, but they that was the good news. The bad news is that Raleigh were in there. They had found that um, I had this illness, you know, uh, feeding away inside of me um, that there was no, there was an illness that there was no cure for and that um, I needed to start making arrangements that people with this illness don't live more than three to five years. So I needed to get my affairs in order. To be honest, I mean, it was kind of like, what kind of sick, weird, you know, tormented joke is this? You know, you, I die, you, I have a near-death experience, you tell me it's not my time, you're sending me back only to wake up and be told that I'm going to die again in a few years. It, it was, you know, a crazy experience, but it actually set me forward in what I do now, because from that point on, I came out publicly, which was very, very hard, um, about having psychic abilities, I had to go through all of the torment of people not believing in this stuff, not, you know, thinking I'm making things up, I'm faking, um, all, all these kind of things. And I mean, now we're 15 years, you know, forward and, and in the future. And um, obviously I've got, you know, a, a great uh, radio shows. I lecture all over the U.S. on these topics. Um, and, and the I, disease, I, they were wrong, obviously. 
No, um, I actually do have it. Um, during this time, it has. it's usually a very aggressive and progressive illness. Christina, let um, me just jump in here. Excuse me, we've got to take sure. a break. We'll pick up on oh, this yeah. on the other side. Christina George, no practicing psychic paranormal investigator that researches everything paranormal. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Christina George is with us. We are discussing the dark side of the paranormal. And that's something that I think that's very important to discuss. Often we hear um, that, uh, you know, ghost hauntings and so forth. Well, they're just they're harmless and we point them towards the light. And, and uh, we're, you know, you've got to set your Aunt Mabel free or she came back from the other side to tell you that everything is wonderful over here. And uh, but it's not all like that. Uh, and I, uh, this is what I've been on about for many, many years. This is uh, just one of the reasons I do not dabble in this area. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't use Ouija boards. I don't, uh, I don't. I'm interested in 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 talking to people uh, about it, but this is not something that I will partake in. Uh, and Christina George has had, uh, well, much of her early life filled with um, rather negative paranormal activity. Now, you were mentioning that uh, you were diagnosed after you uh, had this near-death experience and you were yanked back into your body. And I find it fascinating, by the way, that this, this feeling that you had, we often hear, you know, the overwhelming, unconditional love. It was so powerful that despite the fact that you had, I, I believe you said, two young children. Four. Uh, how many? Four. Four. Four young children. You still didn't want to come back into your body. You, were, you felt you could leave them behind. Sadly to say, I didn't think about anybody that was being left behind. I had no feelings of regret, sadness, that it was a bad thing, um, none of the above. And I actually struggled that with that for a long time after I came back from the near-death experience because I thought, kind of a mother, you know, like, that they were all I would, was thinking of. That's what they, I lived for. So why would I not think of... The fact that I would be leaving them behind without a mother, but no, I, I didn't think about anybody at all. Well, because I think there. somehow you knew, uh, and you were made to feel that everything would be all right. Yeah. Uh, now you you were diagnosed after you you um, you came to. Uh, you were diagnosed with what you were told was a fatal disease. You were given three to five years. Clearly, you've beaten that. But what is the disease, and and how are you managing? Okay, so it's called systemic scleroderma seen sclerosis, and I have the GI involvement, which is the uh, most severe, and um, there is no current cure for it. Uh, what it does is I have a version that causes the connective tissue to kind of grow like uh, ivy, so it grows inside. It attaches with, like, suction cups to anything it touches, which is all your internal organs, it starts to wrap around them and it till they cease to function anymore. And so it basically, you start having issues with each um, internal organ. And if they go, I've had probably over 30 surgeries over the years. Oh my. And they've gone in and they've, you know, um, tried to remove it where it only made it come back 10 times faster and worse and more aggressive. Uh, so eventually we, we, just kind of left it and, you know, let it take its course and avoided any kind of surgery uh, because, of course, scar tissue is a form of connective tissue and anytime you get a surgery, everybody grows scar tissue. So it was, you know, com uh, pounding the problem. And so uh, it, it seemed to kind of slow down. I mean, at this point, I've got it everywhere. I mean, I have it around... All of the intestines, I have it up around my esophagus, I have it on my kidneys, the ureters, um, around the uh, lungs, and the heart is the last place that it will wrap around, and then obviously that's it. Um, and at this point, it's just finishing up around uh, my other lung. So, uh, you know, who knows? They told me it would take three to five years for it to completely envelop everything. Um, and here we are almost 15 years later, and it's just now kind of coming to the end. So I live each day like it's my last any anyway. I don't fear death anymore. So I really don't put a whole lot on that. 
Um, but I have actually um, started like a lot of alternative medicines and um, deal, especially, you know, dealing with like stress. I, I meditate quite often, um, things like that, biofeedback, because stress seems to play havoc on illnesses and especially when you have psychic abilities. Right. Um, I, I did want to get to this. We'll, we'll start the discussion now. This is a short segment, so we'll probably head into a break very shortly okay. here. But let me ask you, uh, I always find this aspect disturbing. And um, in fact, there's a story uh, up on my website at richardserrett.com in the slide carousel about people collecting haunted dolls, collecting them, uh, if you oh. can imagine. And uh, here we go again. And I know that you have had uh, some encounters. You have actually... Uh, You've been attacked by haunted dolls, have you not? Yeah, I lived with my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, uh, for a short time when I was growing up. And the room that I was staying in was the extra bedroom. And my grandmother was a collector of all types of dolls, uh, porcelain dolls, um, Raggedy Ann and Andy's, you name it, she had them. And she had been collecting them for many years. She had display cases. They were all over the walls, on shelves. I mean, the whole room was just full of dolls. And um, I hated staying there. It was like my worst nightmare because every night when I would go to sleep, I would wake up around 3 a.m. and I would hear these dolls talking to me. Not only talking to me, but she even had some you know, electronic dolls and, and different things. And, you know, there was like this one, um, you maybe remember them in the old days, they had like this monkey and he had the... Uh, uh, the symbols. Symbols, yeah. Yes, ding, oh, ding, I ding, remember ding, that, ding. yes. Yes. With that so crazed, maniacal look on its face. Right, right. And, you know, it'd be like 3, 3.30 and this stupid thing would wake me up and we'd be ding, 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 you know. And so the point that I literally took batteries out of anything that had batteries in there and they would still go off. And so it scared me so bad, I I finally am like, okay, I've got to say something to my grandmother. Now, mind you, my maternal grandmother was Catholic, but um, my paternal grandmother was about as devout Catholic as you could get. And so as soon as I tell her what's going on, she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, I know how I can fix this. And she grabs me and puts me in the car and takes me to the Catholic Church because my grandmother actually, like, had— you know, Sunday dinner with the with the father, the priest, and and the whole nine yards. She was very involved in the church, and uh, took me there and told them. So you know, the the father takes me in there and he has me to confession and he puts the holy water on me and has me do fifteen Hail Marys and Our Fathers and he tells me, okay, you know, these are going to be gone, no more problems. You'll go home and everything will be just fine. You know, and you're not supposed to be talking about these things. These are these are not human spirits keep telling you. These are demons, and you're not supposed to interact. So I go home thinking, you know, this is going to be over finally because, again, I'm brought up to think that, you know, the priest can fix everything. And I went back, and I will tell you, it was 10 times worse when I got back. It was and it was the last day that I stayed at my grandparents' home. So I left the next day, and, and it actually never stayed a day there from that point on up until my grandmother passed away. So, all right, Christina, yeah, well, it's not a big thing for me. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I had a ventriloquist doll as a child, and uh, oh, yes. Tommy Talker. Uh, it's in the garage now and will not uh, be in the house, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> uh, we will come back. Christina George, my guest, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Christina George stays with us, and uh, she is a paranormal investigator, ufologist, cryptozoologist, psychic medium, and founder of the paranormal group PPRS, Psychic and Paranormal Research Society, out of Sacramento, California. How would you rate Sacramento in terms of paranormal activity? Um, it's pretty high up there. I mean, we're in gold country, and, you know, there's just, and, and also a lot of the settlers here. We've had a lot of, you know, massacres with uh, the Maidu Indian tribes around here. So definitely a lot of activity. But I'll tell you, you know, to be honest, nowadays, there really isn't anywhere that I've gone or, you know, lectured at that doesn't have 
activity, and it is actually increasing and not on the good side. Um, we're seeing across the board uh, with paranormal teams and investigators that their caseloads are through the roof, and uh, even with my own team, for many years we had very, very uh, basic cases, you know, um, residual hauntings, maybe a family member or the uh, occupant of the home that died there, you know, uh, not realizing they're dead and haven't crossed over, things like that. Uh, not so much anymore. Now we are getting a lot more reportings of really serious cases like actual attacks on the occupants, on the children, um, possessions. Uh, you name it, we're getting across the board, and I hate to say it, but I think that um, television and these ghost hunting shows have a lot to do with it. That's interesting. I was going to ask you about that, and now is a good time. Why? Is it if we think about it, we're opening ourselves up to it? If we watch shows about it, we're opening ourselves up to it? Well, I think, yeah, it does open ourselves up to it, which I think is a good thing because it has uh, brought around a lot more people um, about the paranormal and also making uh, more people comfortable talking about it. Uh, so more people are starting to believe in it. But the bad side of it is that we are seeing um, an increase of paranormal enthusiasts. They see this stuff on TV and they're like, wow, that looks cool. I could do that. And so they decide that they're going to be an investigator. And nowadays the problem is, is like when I first started, you might have three in all of California, right? Now I have 300 just in the area that I'm in to choose from. And all you need to do is, you know, uh, have a couple friends go out and buy a camera and a voice recorder, make a Facebook page, and print up a T-shirt, and you're a paranormal team. Uh, there's exactly, no, exactly. you know, licensing, there's no background checks, there's no nothing. And these people as well are getting their training from the shows. And I want to say, first and foremost, that what you see on TV is, really nowhere near explains everything that goes on in a, an investigation, um, what's the right things to do, the wrong things to do. You see a lot of provoking for television, which is absolutely the worst thing you could do. You never want to go in, whether it's a human spirit or, you know, uh, something demonic uh, or even a dark entity. You don't want to go in, you know, uh, cussing it out and, you know, becoming very forceful and attackful towards it because that's exactly probably what you're going to get back. Um, so we started seeing a lot of people, again, using these things. And so we got more people coming, and the, the movies are showing the Ouija board. So people are saying, oh, yeah, we should do this. And even investigators and people watching you know, um, on TV are now getting these apps for their phones, they're buying the equipment, and they are investigating in their own homes. And I will tell you, anybody and your listeners, whether you're interested in the paranormal or not, you never, ever want to try any kind of communication between the spirit world and yourself, especially in your own home. I agree with okay. you. I agree with you. Uh, how how are these things getting into our homes? I, I mean, a lot of people are interested in, in antiquing, and so they bring home, let's say, an old bonnet chest from the 1850s. Um, I mean, is that what happens, that these entities, either uh, demonic or others, sort of glom on to these material possessions and ride on into your house with them? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've had plenty of cases where... You know, people never experienced any kind of paranormal activity in their home ever. And then all of a sudden they come back from a flea market or a yard sale or an estate sale. And almost immediately things start to happen. So, and it, also uh, we see a big increase now with jewelry. Um, people mm. are liking secondhand jewelry, estate sales, things like that. And they'll notice that once they start wearing the jewelry, they are feeling different. They're feeling strange. Uh, they don't feel they're the same. Uh, they may uh, be have different emotions that aren't their normal emotions. And, again, it can be from the jewelry because, um, you know, we're made up of energy. And anything that we wear, especially have stones and things like that and crystals, 
it absorbs that energy. And so, you know, I always try to tell people if they get, you know, secondhand jewelry, um, even from somebody that they know that's still alive, uh, that you should um, do some ways of, of clearing the jewelry. You know, uh, if you have stones, things like that, put them in the window um, in the moonlight, you know, overnight. You can salt, uh, soak them in salt water, different things to, to disconnect that energy from it so it's then the energy of yourself and you're not having anything conflicting. What's the worst uh, um, sort of infestation of demonic activity you've ever investigated? I had a case a couple years ago and I was called in. Uh, I actually was consulting. They were uh, reporting that they were they had seen a UFO and thought they had been abducted. But since then they were having all kinds of paranormal activity. When I walked in, this house was just, it was crazy. When I walked onto the property, the first thing that I could see was the whole, you know, um, property littered with bodies of American Indians and what looked like, you know, olden day settlers or something. Um, That's the first thing as I'm walking through all that. Then I get in the house and, you know, this person has crosses on one wall. They've got dream catchers on the other. They've got warrior tiki masks that's been made into uh, lamps. They've got all these different things all over the place. And um, I ended up, they ended up having um, a pair of statues. And one was uh, the woman found in her sister's storage shed, and she took home. She liked it. The other one she found in a thrift store and felt compelled to buy it and bought it for $3. Um, she brought it in, and I'll tell you, it was like the world the world's in her house. And there was definitely something really, really dark there. Um, It got so bad uh, that we actually um, had done some research, and a professor had told this couple that these um, statues were, uh, this one that I I picked up on uh, used to be a, uh, a god, some tribal god of possession, and where in this tribe, what the the leader would do or the um, head person would do would uh, they would kill the witch doctor or uh, of another tribe and they would uh, cut the face off of the victim and wear put the that face over theirs to you know so-called absorb the energy and the magic powers that they had are you kidding me my gosh that is gruesome yeah this is yeah and mind you this is what i was seeing you know when i first picked up the statue. And the other one I didn't get too much from, but this one I, I definitely did. And so I set it down immediately on the ground, and I felt like it was looking at me. So I turned it. Uh, so its backs were to me. And, and as I'm talking to the clients and I'm telling them what I was picking up psychically off of, of their house and everything, and they're, they're kind of sitting there, I see one of my invest- team investigators looking at me. And they have this very strange look on their face, and I didn't pick up their camera and start kind of snapping some pictures and so I'm trying to stay focused you know with what I'm doing and afterwards they had told me that the reason they were taking pictures is that these I had set them down and you know turned the back to them and when we looked back down these things were facing towards me again and lovely uh, lovely you know right and so eventually uh, they wanted to sell these things which I had advised them against because of you know you don't ever want if you have something that may be haunted or has an attachment, the last thing you want to do is knowingly sell it for personal gain. It's like the worst thing you could ever, you know, do. And we've seen like with the divot box things that, you know, happen when you do that. So I advise them not to. They were never able to sell it, but the activity in their house got worse. Uh, The husband was becoming quite psychotic. He was uh, paranoid. He was sitting up all night uh, with a shotgun sitting in a rocking chair in the middle of his uh, living room. So they, you know, pleaded me for months to come and, and take this thing and try to find somewhere to to put it. So I actually went and um, got it, and I didn't really want to be responsible for it. So I said that, you know, I would take it over to a university here where I live and see if they would possibly be interested in using it for educational value or anything like that. And I took it to the um, university, and they said, you know, they weren't interested because there was, you know, no testing on it to be to validate that it was 
you know, a tribal artifact or nothing had been done with it. So, you know, they were like, we don't take things on loan, you know, so it's like you could either donate it fully to us or we're not interested. So I didn't do that. And so I wanted to give them back to, you know, trying to figure out, give it back to the uh, clients. They didn't want it. How did you finally dispose of it? Well, strangely enough, I still have them to this day. Um, I had them in my garage for a while, and about um, a couple weeks after I had them, I, I, you know, I got them right away and I bound them. I, you know, put salt around them and did a binding on them so I wouldn't be affected. And it was not uh, effective. And I started having activity at my home where my doors were literally unlocking and opening by themselves at between three and three thirty in the morning. Lovely. And. So we, we went and um, they're now in a storage where they will stay. But we kind of uh, had made plans to finally, after a year, we went, we did the cleansing of their home and their property. We brought a shaman, the whole nine yards. We got rid of all the activity in their home. They thought we were the best people in the whole wide world. Um, then three weeks later, they went to Oregon and uh, they went into this shop that sold ancient, you know, like, uh, figurines and things like that. And they told this story to the shopkeeper. And the shopkeeper, you know, said, well, I'll give you $100 for him if you give him, get him for me. And so they contacted me, you know, after, you know, like I said, a year going back and forth trying to get them to take them and they wouldn't. Um, they called me and said, you know, hey, we've decided now we want, uh, we changed our mind again for the third time. Now we want them because somebody will buy them. Oh, good Lord. And they just welcomed it back into their house. Right. And I said, no, I wouldn't give them back to them. Good for you. um, Christina, we're out of time. I'm I'm sorry. This is, uh, it whipped right by. We'll have to have you on again, but thank you so much. Uh, We point out the website is DTM. WickedRadio.com, DTMWickedRadio.com. We've hooked up to uh, your site at RichardSerrett.com. We'll just click on Christina's name. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Be well. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My thanks to Tim Spreen, as always, Albert Vinzel. Back next week with a brand new program for you. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.